Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The objective of education nowadays in Western culture is happiness. So the idea of suffering is totally countercultural, and even to the point where we as Christians have a hard time accepting it, and we will often do anything we can to avoid it ourselves. But this was not the case with the first Christians, and it shouldn't be the case with us. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 6, verse 8, through chapter 7, verse 60, in a message titled, The First Christian Martyr. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Let me just remind you that as, as we're making our way through Acts, one of the things that we're focusing on, and I want to kind of just keep reminding us of this so we don't get lost in the details, but we're focusing on how the gospel advanced and the church expanded in those early days of its history, because that is a model. It's a, it's a picture for us of, of how this happens. And so we, we want to kind of keep that before our minds as, as we go through. So up until this point, what we've seen is that the expansion uh, of the church has been largely through the preaching and teaching ministry of the apostles and the living out of the new life in Christ by the believers. What we've also seen but haven't yet considered closely is this component of suffering. And so we're, we're going to focus in on that today. These believers were willing to endure suffering in order to see the gospel advance. They, they understood that that was really part of the way the message would go forward. So up until this point in the story, we've seen that they were threatened. We've seen that they were actually even put in jail. And we also saw that some of them were beaten for refusing to comply with the order from the authorities to cease preaching Jesus as the Messiah. But as we come now to the story of Stephen and we see his execution, what we see here is that things have gone to a whole new level of danger for the disciples. Now, of course, this extreme opposition to the gospel, which was rooted there in the hearts of these men who were opposed to it, but we know also, we can be sure that the, the devil was behind this. Of course, the ultimate desire of the enemy is to prevent things from going any further. So we'll threaten them. Well, that didn't work. We'll put them in jail. Well, that didn't work. We'll beat them. Well, that didn't work. Okay, now we're going to kill them. But what we're going to find out is that that didn't work either. And what we see here is that part of their success in advancing the gospel was in their very willingness to suffer. You know, it's like, Paul the Apostle actually would say himself later on in life when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and he had this deep passion to go and to, he wanted to just have that one opportunity to clearly proclaim the gospel to 
to the Jews, which of course he was a Jew. So he's like, my people, I want to get the gospel to them. And as he's ready to go to Jerusalem, everybody around him knows this isn't going to be good. You're going to, you know, this could be disastrous. Don't go. And, and Paul says to them, why are you, why are you trying to persuade me? He said, don't you realize that I'm not only ready to suffer for Christ in Jerusalem, I'm ready to die if that's what it takes. That was the attitude of the early believers. And it was that kind of attitude that, like I'm saying, it, it, cause the gospel to advance. Now, the whole idea of suffering as something to be valued or something to be embraced is so countercultural to us, especially as Westerners, especially, you know, people in the Western world. We have made it an art form to free ourselves as much as we possibly can from any suffering. We, you know, comfort and ease is, is really what, what we're primarily all about as, as a culture. I was listening to a report this week where you're talking about some different views educationally between like the Asian cultures and uh, American or, or Western cultures. And in, in the Asian culture, the kind of the objective of education is knowledge and application and production and talking about the the objective of education nowadays in western culture is happiness so that's that's the big thing you know we want to you know we want to help everybody be happy so so the idea of of suffering is totally countercultural and even to the point where we as christians have a hard time accepting it, and we will often do anything we can to avoid it ourselves. But this was not the case with the first Christians, and it shouldn't be the case with us. Uh, N.T. Wright, a writer, an author, a scholar, he wrote this, and it, it's applicable here. He said this. He said, we should not be surprised, though many in the church down through the years would be very surprised to hear this, that the early Christians understood their vocation as Jesus' followers to include as a central and load-bearing element their own suffering, misunderstanding, and likely death. The suffering of Jesus' followers is actually like Jesus' own suffering not just the inevitable accompaniment to the accomplishing of the divine purpose, listen, but actually itself part of the means by which the purpose is fulfilled. In other words, what N.T. Wright is saying is that these Christians understood from the beginning, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, and know that in order to do that, some are going to suffer and die. That was the message that Jesus gave, and that was the message they understood, and that's the reality that they went out and experienced, beginning here with Stephen. So what I want to do is I want to look, first of all, just for a moment at Stephen and just kind of refresh ourselves on, on who this person is. So we, we met him last week in the story. Remember, there was a situation where there was uh, perceived discrimination happening in the distribution of, of the goods to the widows. The Hellenistic, the Greek background Jews felt like they were being uh, discriminated against by, by the Hebrew background Jews. And so the apostles were getting sucked into this. And they said, no, no, we can't do that. We, 
you know, it's not right for us to, to leave the ministry of the word and serve tables. So you choose from among you seven men and appoint them over this. And so Stephen is the first one mentioned. So he was the first one that was chosen. And so what we learn about Stephen as we look at that and then put together the other pieces from what we read today is, first of all, Stephen was simply a servant. He was a servant in the church in Jerusalem. Now, Stephen was, first and foremost, a servant. He was a a person who was just there to serve, and he's one of the guys that's chosen to serve in this daily distribution. He's passing out food. He's helping out with, you know, maybe clothing and things like that. He's part of this, this distribution thing. So that's what he was. Well, I said first and foremost, but that's not actually the case. In the service of the church, he was a servant. But secondly, what we see about Stephen is that he was a prophet. Now, one of the things that I want us to understand, because I think we have a hard time with this sometimes, I, I think that we, we tend to think that the people who are going to be prophetic or the people who are going to be you know, preaching the gospel effectively or the people that are going to be teaching the word, well, of course, those are the people who are the pastors. But what we see with Stephen is he wasn't a pastor. He was just a servant in the church, but he was also a prophet in as much as we read about him that through him, what does it say? That there were great wonders and signs that were done among the people. So that, that's the prophetic thing. So here's this guy. He's, you know, <laughs> sometimes you'd find him there passing out the loaves of bread. And other times you find him out in the community and God's using him to perform these powerful, miraculous deeds. So he's a servant. He's a prophet. He's an evangelist. In other words, he's a person who preaches the gospel. That's what got him into the trouble in the first place because he was preaching the gospel. He was telling people, Jesus of Nazareth, he's, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. The, the, they took what Stephen said and they distorted it. But no doubt, Stephen was saying that the, the temple, as we've known it, and its ministry is ended because Jesus came and fulfilled it all. The laws we've known it, that's ended because Jesus came and fulfilled it all. So it was probably in the synagogue of the freed men that Stephen had made these remarks. And so, of course, this is what got him into trouble. But we see that, that he was an evangelist. He was a person who was telling other people about Jesus. And he was also a preacher. Now, I encourage you later today to read the section of scripture between the two passages that we read today. So you get the the full picture. But what we have there is Stephen. Remember, he's brought before the high priest. They make these accusations. They say, are these things so? And he opens his mouth. And then we skipped over all of that except the very end. But there he begins to basically preach to them about their, their whole history. He starts with Abraham, he talks about Joseph, then he goes to Moses, then he talks about David, and, and he ultimately ends at Jesus and basically says, Jesus is the, the Messiah and you've rejected him. And that's what caused them to kill him. But he's a preacher. He knows the word of God. 
it's amazing. I mean, he just walks them through their entire history. So we see that about him. But here's the thing that I wanted to say in regard to what he was first and foremost. What he was first and foremost was a simple Christian. He was a Christian. He was a believer. And before any of these other things that we know about him, serving or the prophetic thing or the evangelist or the preacher thing, what we find is that he was one of those men that was chosen. Why? Because he had a good reputation and he was full of the spirit and wisdom. He was just a solid Christian man. That's what he was. And so as we think about him as the first martyr, I want us to understand that he was, in, in one sense, he was a simple Christian, but he had these other giftings and things as well. And one of the reasons I'm saying that is because from that day to this day, you know, millions, millions of people have been martyred for their faith. Millions. We hardly know any of them. Why? Well, they were just simple Christians. They didn't hold a high position anywhere. They didn't write a book. They didn't lead a ministry necessarily, but they loved Jesus. They followed Jesus. They served Jesus. And in the end, for you know, whatever the circumstances were, they died for their faith. And so the underlying factor with Stephen, let's never forget, is that he was a simple Christian. So Stephen was the first martyr, but he is certainly not the last martyr. Now, of course, we have the story of his martyrdom here. As we go on in the book of Acts, we find next that James is martyred, put to death for his faith, James. James is the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, the close friend of Peter. Remember when we read in the gospel, so often it's Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. James is the next one. He's executed by Herod. We know from Paul's own writing that he would himself be martyred. He would be put to death at a certain point. He understood maybe the sentence was already passed when he wrote to Timothy in the second letter because he says, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And he recognizes that it, it's time for him. And history tells us that he was beheaded by Nero. And, and then, of course, Peter. Uh, we don't know exactly how Peter died. The tradition says that he was crucified upside down. We don't know if that really happened or not. But we know that that Peter was martyred because Jesus told him in John chapter 21 that there would come a day when, where he used to kind of go out and do what he wanted. There would, there would come a day when he would be bound and he would take, be taken away to some place he didn't want to go. And John tells us specifically that that was a reference to the way that Peter would glorify God through his death. So we have these others that, that followed them in the biblical record as martyrs. But as we just go through history, like I said, the vast majority, you know, the estimation is that in the first couple of centuries, six million Christians died for their faith. That's, that's an estimation. Some people dispute it, say it wasn't that. Some people say it actually could have been more. We don't know for sure. But, but multitudes of believers died. But occasionally we, we have a name. We have a little bit of background. So in 155 AD, just, you know, shortly after the apostolic period, we have the story of the, the martyrdom of a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was the, he was the bishop of Smyrna. And he was taken, he was burned at the stake. There, there's 
plenty of references uh, after that as well. But jumping all the way out to 1555, there was the martyrdom of, of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley in Oxford, England. Fast forwarding to 1934, John and Betty Stamm, they were a young couple that were martyred in China. 1956, uh, names that some of us might be familiar with, especially Jim Elliott, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Yadarian, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, they were the ones that, that died there, attempting to bring the gospel to the Alcas in uh, Ecuador. But fast forward to 2015. 21 Egyptian Christians beheaded by ISIS. Many of us saw on the internet and the news, we saw gruesome images of that very thing happening. 2016, uh, maybe you remember this, Father Jacques Hamel uh, murdered while performing a service early in the morning at his parish church in France. Throat slit, attempted to behead him. 2017, right at the end of the year, Ian Squire, uh, who was a, a British missionary, and who was shot dead in, um, in Nigeria. Now, so lest we think that this stuff is something from 2,000 years ago, we need to realize this stuff, it, it still happens today. As a matter of fact, according to Open Doors, which is a, a ministry that deals with, largely with you know, the persecuted church, uh, according to Open Doors 2018 World Watch List, 3,066 people were killed in 2017 specifically for their faith. They died as martyrs. They died, they were put to death in some way because of their Christian faith. So th this is a reality still today. But again, hear me on this, persecution, even martyrdom, is a part of the mission of advancing the gospel. You see, the, the reason we have such a problem with that is because we so often are just thinking about the here and the now. We're thinking about the temporary. In some ways, we've even sort of lost sight of eternity and of heaven. And, and that that is the goal is ultimately to be with the Lord, not to settle down here on earth. The early Christians understood that. You remember in Hebrews, it tells us that they lived as pilgrims and sojourners because they were looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. They, they, you know, they, they weren't looking to settle down in Rome and just live happily ever after. They were looking for that, that city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. So it is a fact of history that persecution and martyrdom have done more to advance the gospel then to stop its progress. That is a fact of history. Tertullian, who was an early church leader in the second century, his words have proven to be true over and over again. He said, and this is a paraphrase, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He, he understood that. And what I want us to see, because I, all of those names I just mentioned, I want to walk through them once again, but I want to tell you a little bit more about their story. And, and what we're going to see is this. What looks like a defeat is a victory, actually. And, and right here beginning with Stephen. Now, this looks like a defeat, doesn't it? I mean, you think, look at this guy. I mean, he's a servant in the church. He is uh, a prophet. He is an evangelist. He is a preacher. This is the guy that you want to stick around. 
These are the people, you know, like, no, Lord, we want this guy. We need this guy more on earth than you need him in heaven. That, that's the way we would kind of look at that, right? But, you know, God has a different way of doing things. And what oftentimes looks like a defeat from our standpoint is actually a great victory. And Stephen is a case in point because remember, as we're reading the passage here this morning, there's reference to this one person who was watching or taking care of the clothing of those, the garments of those who were putting Stephen to death. And what was his name? His name was Saul. Now, Saul, for those of you that don't know, will later be known in history as the Apostle Paul. But at this stage, he's complicit in the death of Stephen. He's like, hey, you're going to stone this guy? Great. Here, let me hold your coat. Here, yeah, give me, give me your coat. Yeah, give me, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. You guys, you know, throw a stone for me. That was what was happening here. Saul, as we see as we go into the next chapter, he was enraged in, in his hostility toward the believers. And he goes on a rampage and he's persecuting them. But listen, Stephen is the guy who God uses through his, this whole event. Stephen is the guy that God uses to plant the seed of the gospel deep in Saul's heart to where he can't escape it. He can't get rid of it. It's like in Stephen, Saul meets his match. Saul was the brilliant student of Gamaliel. Saul was the, the zealot. And here's Stephen. Oh, he's brilliant too. He just walked him through their entire history as a nation. And he's a bold preacher. He shows them that they're guilty before God of rejecting the Messiah. But not only that, Stephen, he is forgiving his enemies and he's got this unbelievable composure and peace upon him even while he's dying. This undoubtedly haunted Saul and this was the seed that would, would begin the process that would lead to his conversion. Because when Saul is finally converted, Jesus says this, thing, this one thing to him. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goats, which is an indicator that he had been fighting against the truth and trying to avoid uh, submitting to it. And that truth, I believe, was clearly planted in Saul of Tarsus on this day. And so what we see in each one of these situations is that what seemed like a defeat was actually a victory. What seemed like maybe the gospel was going to be halted in its progress actually led to its greater progress. So fast forward to 1555, Latimer and Ridley. This is during the time of the English Reformation. And they are condemned by the queen at the time and they are sentenced to death and they are burned at the stake in the city of Oxford. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. So one of my favorite books over the past couple years was a book called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Fantastic book. Well, she has made sort of a children's version of the book. It's called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. 
she did such an amazing job with the Confronting Christianity book. It was actually the book of the year. I know that this one is excellent as well. So I want to encourage you, especially if you have teenage children, to pick it up for them, read it along with them. If you are a school teacher, you interact with young people and you want to know how to help them, this will be a tremendous resource. So 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, my recommendation for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to help you equip the next generation to wrestle with the challenges raised against Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.